This is VLX number 51, Jesus Heals a Paralytic. We are in Matthew chapter 9, verses 1 through 8. God give you his peace, in nomine Patris, Filii, Spiritus Santi. Amen. God, our Lord, we ask the grace that all of our intentions, actions, and operations be directed purely to the service and praise of your divine majesty. In nomine Patris, Filii, Spiritus Santi. Amen. Matthew chapter 9, verse 1 through 8. And getting into a boat, Jesus crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God, who had given such authority to men. Thus are the words of the Holy Gospel. Just a couple quick notes here. First, please rate these podcasts on Apple Podcasts or whatever you use on Android. And if you are on YouTube, please like and subscribe. It helps other people to find these. Now, my next VLX, that is going to be VLX number 52. I'm going to give you guys a short review of the two methods for newcomers. But I would still suggest that everyone listen to it since it will be short. And because I really believe we all need to get back to these landmarks to make sure we're doing scripture study and scripture-based prayer just like the saints did. So please do listen to VLX 52 even if you think you know where I'm going with the method of St. Bruno and the method of St. Teresa of Avila. One other thing I'm going to talk about is why I talk about Father Lapidae so much. We're going to close up 52 next time with that. I often quote Father Lapidae and I'll explain why I do that, why he is so authoritative for the Catholic Church. And then, you know, for today, the only thing I kind of fear as we go on is that some people are getting pumped for the insights I have, or probably more likely for the insights that Father Lapide gives from the Church Fathers. But I would like to stress that the most important part is the very beginning where I read the opening scripture line, also called a pericope. Well, today I'm going to help us go back to that because Father Lapidae says that today's healing of the paralytic in Matthew chapter 9 is the exact same event as the paralytic lowered through the roof in Mark chapter 2. So let's listen to that one too. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home, and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them, and they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes are sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk? 
but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. Thus again are the words of the Holy Gospel. Now there we had the same event, but there was something major left out of Matthew, namely the breaking in through the roof. I believe sometimes we might notice some of these differences between the Gospels, for example, say, Mark and Luke. For example, when you look at the Beatitudes. Now, modern scripture scholars say that's just because scripture is not inerrant. Well, no, that's not true. One explanation why Luke's Beatitudes and, say, Matthew's Beatitudes might be different is simply because Jesus may have preached the Beatitudes in different ways more than once. So let's go to the simple explanation first. But today, Father Lapide insists, probably based on the church fathers again, that this is the same event in Mark and Matthew. It's just that Matthew did not include the lowering through the roof, which is no problem. That doesn't make it any less inerrant. But think of how weird that is they went through the roof. I mean, the guy's best friends couldn't get to this miraculous healing rabbi in this very crowded house, so they decided to go to the top and break through. Now, let's put this in modern terms. Um, Imagine if you lived in, say, Italy 75 years ago, and somehow somebody got Padre Pio, the miracle worker, to leave his monastery and come to a private home. And then this person who owns a private home has this big audience with Padre Pio and then notices people just hammering away with sledgehammers to get into his roof because people wanted to see Padre Pio. Do you think the average Italian 75 years ago would just let someone bust a hole in their roof to get to be near a saint? No, they'd be infuriated. And so I think the first thing we have to realize today is that Jesus must have brought just this entire atmosphere of peace with him that the owner of this place was not mad for having his roof get destroyed for these four friends of the paralytic to bust in through the top to bring him to Jesus for a miraculous healing. Now, perhaps he was angry later, and like I said, it's not any proof of a lack of inerrancy if there's a detail that's missing. Maybe he was angry later, the owner of this home. But my point is this. We couldn't fault that homeowner for getting mad because even 2,000 years ago, what he would have seen was a pretty radical move to just bust in front of him from the top to get your paralytic friends to a healing rabbi named Jesus. And, you know, we have to remind ourselves how odd this was because we nowadays chalk all this up to kind of weird Bible land where, yeah, it must have been normal to lower someone through a roof to get to Jesus. No, that wasn't normal. Um, We have to realize this was an extremist move even back then. It was an extremist move. And so one thing to bring to prayer is, are you willing to be extremists to get to Jesus? That's the first point of prayer you can uh, enter into. Now, Father Lapidy points out there was actually three miracles in today's pericope. That is today's section. The first is Jesus forgiving the paralytic sins. The secondly is Jesus reading the hearts of the scribes. And the third is Jesus heals the paralytic's body. Let's look at Matthew chapter 9, verse 4 today. Jesus says, quote, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk? End quote. Now notice, and this is really important, Jesus didn't say, Which is easier to do, forgive sins, or make a paralytic walk? Father Lapide is clear that the former is harder. 
Father Lapide says, It is per se more difficult to forgive sins than to heal a paralytic person, yea, than to create heaven and earth. And there is an a priori reason for this. First, because sin and the sinner as enemies of God are much further away from God than paralysis and the paralytic. Also, because remission of sins is of a higher order than nature and all natural things. It has to do with the supernatural order of grace and brings that with it. Grace is the highest communion with divinity, for by grace we may be made partakers of the divine nature, 2 Peter 1.4. So what Lapide is saying there is, even though we nowadays would be more amazed at, say, a Catholic priest raising a paralytic off of his stretcher in a hospital than just going to hear his confession, it's actually more amazing when a priest hears someone's confession and finds them worthy of absolution and absolves them because, as Father Lapide says, this reconciles an enemy of God with God. That is more miraculous. And perhaps this is why some modern Catholic apologists, who I tend to agree with actually, I didn't mean modern as a rip on it, say in today's pericope, that line that he had given such authority to men, we have to ask, why was that in the plural? Now, it is interesting that for Father Lapide, he does say that Jesus was not doing the sacrament of confession. Although the apostles who were given the same power to forgive sins was the sacrament of confession. He quotes St. Thomas Aquinas, quote, The power of the excellence of Christ consists of four things. One, because his merit and the virtue of his passion operate in the sacraments. Number two, because by his name the sacraments are sanctified. Number three, because Christ himself, who gives virtue to the sacraments, had power to institute them. Number four, because Christ is able to confer the effect of the sacraments, in other words, the remissions of sins and grace, without the sacraments. This power is peculiar to Christ alone as man, and therefore it has been communicated to no priest, nor pontiff, nor even to St. Peter, end quote. So what it's saying there is, even though anyone from St. Peter down to a priest like me 2,000 years later is forgiving sins, or rather, Christ is forgiving sins through me with the very same power that he had with this paralytic 2,000 years ago. Christ was not executing the sacrament of confession himself when he forgave these sins. Does that make sense? It is Jesus forgiving with the same power through me every time I say to somebody, Ego te absolva peccatis tuis, in nomine patris, et filii spiritus santi. But for he himself, again, St. Thomas Aquinas says, because Christ is able to confer the effect of the sacraments, in other words, the remissions of sin and grace without the sacraments, this power is peculiar to Christ alone as man, and therefore it has been communicated to no priest nor pontiff, nor even to St. Peter. But again, Jesus says, which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise and walk? Okay, those two words to say are key right here. Think almost as if Jesus had said, which is easier to prove? your sins are forgiven, or rise and walk. Or maybe the invert image of today's question is this. What is easier to lie about, your sins are forgiven, or to say rise and walk? Really, pause this podcast and ask, with Jesus in front of the scribes right there, which is easier to lie about, your sins are forgiven, or to say rise and walk? Well, obviously, a fake prophet could more easily lie about sins being forgiven than a physical miracle, for example, making a paralytic miraculously walk. Why? Because a fake prophet saying your sins forgiven is a non-falsifiable hypothesis. It's a non-falsifiable hypothesis. What do I mean by this? Because nobody can see the sins leave the soul of a person unless you're, again, say, Padre Pio who can see souls. But, and here's the big thing, 
Is saying rise and walk a falsifiable hypothesis? Yes, it absolutely is. Because as soon as a false prophet were to say to a paralytic, rise and walk, and then he stays on his mat, doesn't walk, then we all have absolute proof that his hypothesis is false. So when Jesus says, for which is easier to say your sins are forgiven, or to say rise and walk, he's basically saying, as soon as you see the visible miracle, you can be sure I already did the invisible miracle. As soon as you can see the visible miracle of that paralytic walking home, you can be sure I already did the invisible miracle of cleansing him of his sins. Listen to the gospel right here again. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your mat, and go home. Oh, but you know this is a big problem for the scribes because that means Christ is God, not just a prophet. Why? Because prophets like Elijah did raise the dead in the Old Testament, but no prophet ever forgave sins. In fact, no true prophet ever claimed to forgive sins. No prophet before Jesus would ever blaspheme by claiming to forgive sins. But Jesus proves by raising this paralytic that he already forgave his sins, which, yes, only God can do. So he just proved to everybody present that he wasn't just an awesome prophet, but God himself. And this is why we need to have a love of God's holiness, but also a fear of God's holiness. You know, God is not your jolly grandfather who just turns a blind eye to sin. He is your father, and every true experience of God's holiness should fill you with both fear and excitement. That's exactly what fills the crowd here in the last line. You probably just read it in Matthew 9, 8. Hopefully you're doing your reading there on your own too. It says, When the crowd saw it, they were afraid and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. Now the aorist or the past tense of the verb in Greek is used here, ephobethesan. You might hear in the middle of that word phobe, where we get all the phobias in the English language, obviously meaning fear. So they have a fear and an awe and an excitement in Jesus' presence. And really every experience of God shouldn't just fill us with the excitement, but also fear. So for the imaginative way of prayer, this is what I'm going to propose. Um, imagine you are the paralytic today, and you're not even getting lowered through the roof yet. You're not even on the roof Imagine your friends are walking to the home of whoever owns this place in Capernaum and they're taking you, telling you about this. Or maybe you asked, maybe you asked your four friends. I want you to really picture four friends who are holding the four sides of your stretcher. You're this paralytic getting brought to Jesus. And pause the podcast and think of four friends. Now, you know, it's it's kind of funny. If you're watching this from India or Africa, and I know we have some great listeners from all over, it's really easy to think of a lot of friends. I remember when I was in Africa, hearing who got invited to a wedding was every cousin and pretty much every cousin of a cousin, which made it like two or 3,000 people. We here in the West, yeah, we might have all these followers on social media, but the fact is, it's hard for us to come up with four friends. So I, you know, when I was doing this meditation, uh, even though I think a lot of people think I have all these followers on social media, I had a hard time coming up with four friends I really trusted. I did come up with four. God bless those four. Uh, they probably know who they are. 
but I barely came up with four friends I trusted. So don't feel really bad if you don't feel like you have a lot of friends because we in the West, especially under lockdown, are under very lonely days. And if you can't think of four friends, pick Peter, Paul, and the Apostle John and maybe one friend. And um, if not that, pick St. Matthew. Okay, so you're getting led in there and then you can't get inside. And remember, you can only maybe see the sky at this point. You're just going on what they're telling you. So then how much must you trust these guys to be getting you up on the roof while you are a paralytic? I mean, you know what happens if they drop you. You can't put your hands out in front of you from the top of this roof. You must really trust these guys. Now, it mentioned that Jesus saw their faith, but Father Lapide has a whole proof that the paralytic also had an extreme amount of supernatural faith already. Otherwise, he wouldn't have agreed to all this thing. So when it says in the Greek, their faith... A lot of modern scripture scholars, I think they imply it's only the four people around him, but no, it was also the paralytic who had a lot of faith. Okay, but now you're actually getting lowered. And imagine, just go from the blinding sun of Israel 2,000 years ago to then everything is dark. And let's say as you're getting lowered, you see the face of the scribes before you see our Lord's face. And then you see Jesus' face after you see them. Now, the contrast is held by St. Jerome who says this, quote, and this is his commentary from Lapide on today's pericope on Matthew chapter 9. This is St. Jerome, quote, O wondrous humility, Christ calls this despised and feeble one, all the joints of whose limbs were loosed, son, a man whom the priests would not deign to touch, end quote. Okay, I messed that quote up, but the key part right there is St. Jerome points out that Jesus doesn't just say, person or um, you know a son of Israel he says son he calls you son or if you're a girl daughter while these scribes won't even touch you so see Jesus's face commensurate with that joy and pride in calling you son after you saw the scribes look upon you with such disdain and then you know again scripture is an errant even if it doesn't include every detail. And this is where it's not good to be theologically creative because in times as confusing as that, that usually just makes a bunch of heretics. But according to the method of St. Teresa of Avila and St. Ignatius, we can be creative with our imagination. So what I would suggest is you picture after you see the scribe's face as you're this lowered paralytic, and then you see Jesus's face, just picture his hand on your forehead before he heals you, before he says you this final line that we're going to hear in the gospel. If you're doing 15 minutes of prayer, don't be afraid of just spending 15 minutes pretending like you're a paralytic on a mat, and all 15 minutes is just Jesus' loving divine hand on your forehead. I think with just so much uh, of a frenetic culture that we're in, and after the inauguration and all the confusion, we need to really enter into um, not just intellectual highs in our prayer, but really feeling the peace that Christ will give us. Not just feeling, experiencing in the deepest parts of our intuition the peace that Christ gives us. And this is something any kids out there who are doing this meditation can do. Just meditate, kids, as long as you can with you laying there with Jesus' hand on your forehead. And then, what are these final lines? Notice that switch Matthew has. He shows Jesus talking to the scribes and he's a little bit harsh with them because they're such hypocrites and they won't believe he's God and they won't even believe miracles. But then this tenderness as he switches to the paralytic. It says, Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? 
For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your mat, and go home. Notice there, mid-sentence, Christ switched his gaze from his enemies to his friend, you. And you, his friend, hears him say, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And that is the face, the face of the Son of God that you are looking at when you step off that stretcher for the first time ever. Please say an Our Father for me, at benedictio Dei Omnipotentis, Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti, descendit super vos et maniat semper. Amen.